I just, I like to pray before we start. One of the things I like to pray is, Lord, give me the words. Give me your words. Let's not just hear from a guy up on the stage this morning, but let's hear your rhema word for this morning. So would you agree with me? Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this time this morning that we get to be with you. Um, You're in this place, and God, we want to hear from you. So God, speak to us. God, when you speak to us, God, it changes us. So we expect, we fully expect, God, as a result of being here in this place this morning and you speaking to us, Lord, our hearts, our spirits will be filled up. God, we, we just thank you for your faithfulness. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. amen. So, Worthy. We're starting a new series um, this morning called Worthy. I've been traveling a lot in, in my district role. I, some of you guys know that um, I, I worked for Sam Rockwell, who is here uh, for our installation service a few weeks ago, is our uh, district supervisor. And uh, he's our he's over oversees all the four square churches in the six state area. And I worked in, on his team as a next gen rep um, for the uh, for the uh, the our United States of, of America for the of America. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> Oh, Lord, he helped me this morning. Your words, not mine. Remember, God? <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's faithful. Um, so I served on the national team to serve our next-gen pastors. Next-gen is the language that we use in Foursquare for children's youth and young adult pastors. And so I, I and then I also served our, our, our immediate uh, area, which is the six states. And so with that, I've, I've been traveling a lot in the district role um, since I left here in 2010. And so as the district uh, next-gen guy, I was, I was serving our next-gen pastors in this area. And in addition to that, I participated in a lot of conversations and strategic planning on the national level, which took me to some great places, our international con- connection events and some special trips throughout the year. And so over time, I've gotten pretty good at learning how to get the best uh, experience at the different locations you know, that I've had the opportunity to visit. And the last, the last trip I, I had the opportunity to go on um, was out to Seattle. We have any Seattle fans in the house this morning? Anybody from Seattle? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and it's a pretty cool town. And lots of unique and fun things to do. Um, if you've been there, you've probably seen the Space Needle. You've been there before. Anybody been up to the top? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, yeah. Um, you've probably been down to the docks if you've been in Seattle. Um, And then there's the big Ferris wheel, or they call it, I found out, they call it the Great Wheel. (laughs) Um, And so I I didn't go on it, but I beheld its beauty. And and then there's the Pikes Place Market. Of course, if you go to Seattle, you go to Pikes Place Market, and lots of unique and fun um, stores and shops, and it's very hipstery. (laughs) And you can buy records, LPs, if you know what those are. They're like really big CDs. And... (laughs) But, but do you, you know the best way to experience a town, um, if, you're, if you're new and if you're not from around there, or a vacation spot or, or wherever you go, is to talk to the locals, right? It's to find out from the locals where to go, what to see. And I was, I was sitting at a meeting at the beginning of this week, my, it was just a couple months ago, and um, so I, I thought to myself, I had two people sitting on, on piers that were sitting with me in the meeting, and I said, so you're from here. I'm going to get out my pen and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you the question, where do I really need to go? You know, I, I know, you know I'm going to go to Pike's Place, you know I'm going to go see the needle, you know I'm going to see all that, where, where do I need to go? So some of you, if you've been to Pike's, you know, Pike's Place, the, the market down there, maybe you ran into the gum wall. Anybody's experienced the gum wall? So 
but it's so easy to miss. I could have missed this. This is a very important experience if you're in Seattle. <laughs> I have a friend that uh, took a picture with her tongue on that wall. Now that's a whole... <laughs> Um, that's a whole other experience, but um, so I, you know, it's just right around the corner from Pice Place, but you might miss it. It's a pretty cool, I mean, there is literally a city block covered in gum. It's pretty amazing. Um, then there's the food, right? You get excited about food when you go to some places? Well, I, I had the best chowder that I think I've ever had at a little mall. It was at a little shop in the mall on the fourth floor that I never would have found about if I hadn't asked, you know, uh, my friends there. And uh, some of the best, how about desserts? You know, that's kind of important, right? <laughs> and so I, I, asked, I asked where to go, and there's this place called the Pie Bar. Anybody go to the Pie Bar? So it's, it's in this high rise. It, it's the only, all you can do, it's, it's like a drive-up window, but you can't drive up to it. You can't go inside to order this pie. You have to find a parking spot in downtown, and you know how that is in a big city. Uh, and then you walk to this place, and it's like a walk-up window to order your pie. And it is the best pie that you've ever had in your life. <laughs> it's worth it. And then uh, if we've got some ice cream fans there, if you're going to Seattle, highly recommend Molly Moon's Ice Cream. Molly Moons, any takers? Anybody? Okay. When you put this in your mouth, it's like heaven on earth. <laughs> Molly Moons ice cream. So I walked to these places. There's this place called Volunteer Park that, um, you know, is, I never would have found unless a, a friend uh, whose father lives there. She goes here all the time with her dad. It's, it was like an oasis in the middle of the big city. It was beautiful. Um, there's the Amazon office spears. This is pretty cool. I was walking around downtown. Somebody told me to take a little detour and check these out. This is a natural office space that Amazon has created for their, their employees that is inside of spears. And so it's like you go inside there and it's almost like a forest. Um, very, very cool. And then while I'm there, um, several people recommended the Museum of Pop Culture, which happened to have a Marvel feature going on when I was there. So I went and it was so cool. So Seattle is cool. And the Connection Convention that I went to this year, that's our international convention for Foursquare, is one of the best I can remember uh, going to in recent years. But if I hadn't talked to my friends that live in the Seattle area, Seattle would have been just all right. Seattle would have been pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's cool in of itself, but, you know, Molly Moon's ice cream was, ooh, <laughs> it was good. That chowder. I got to hug Spider-Man and the Black Panther, <laughs> you know, at the, at the Museum of Pop Culture. And so there was some cool music stuff there, too, like Jimi Hendrix guitar and, and, you know, Nirvana's drum set and movie stuff like Indiana Jones leather jacket and um, stuff from the Lord of the Rings movies. The original lion costume from the Wizard of Oz was there. I mean, just a, just a whole bunch of cool things. So what I realized is that I could have been Seattle, but I could have very well missed being in Seattle. You know what I mean? I could have missed all that cool stuff. And, and so once I got outside of that little, you know, Google Seattle's best box that, you know, travelers do, celebrating Seattle was easy because it was such a cool city. And it was the most natural thing for me to be excited about Seattle when I left because it was such a fun experience. So why do I say that this morning? When we start out reading in the book of Ephesians, that's where we're going to be in this series. We're going to be landing on for a few weeks in this series that we're calling Worthy. Verse 3 in chapter 1 starts off with praise be to God. Now, what does that mean? 
When, when we see and experience all of who God is and all of his glory, we should be dropping some praise, right? And, and, and he's really worthy of it all. And my concern is, for some of us, when we worship, it's just not there. We're not that enthusiastic. We're not all in. But my concern is that when people in the Bible have an encounter with God, they just, they go all out. They, they, and, and partakers, that's what I'm trying to say. Partakers, when you experience something that is really awesome, really cool, really awe-worthy, partakers become participators. It's the most natural thing. When we see him, we can't help but to celebrate him. So when John says we're made to worship, we were created to worship. And so when you're in a movie and you see a great scene, what do you want to do? You, you, you want to share the experience with someone. You need to go see this movie because it's the celebrating that completes the enjoying, right? We're hardwired to celebrate things that are valuable to us. God is the most valuable thing. And so when we see who God is in his fullness on your notes, worshiping God is the most natural thing. Worshiping God becomes the most natural thing. Partakers are participators, right? Are celebrators. They become celebrators. But maybe you haven't seen yet or you haven't tasted. And, and so maybe you've been in the Christian circle for a long time, but you've been in this, this, maybe this safe little box. You've not been thrilled by his majesty or overwhelmed by his inexhaustible love. So Paul prays that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what you have. And so God is worth praising, not just a tweet, but with your life. And he's worth worshiping. So do you, do you have eyes to see it? I'm, I'm praying that we do this morning. So if, if someone came to me and said, I want to read the Bible, you know, because the Bible is the most influential book in the world, and it shaped cultures, literally shaped cultures, it shaped nations, um, Jesus is the most influential person in history books. And so they think, you know, I should probably pick up the book and I should read it. And so I'd recommend that they start in the Gospels, you know, see the Son of God in sandals, you know, see him with flesh on, and you get to see him in the flesh. So then I would take them to the book of Ephesians. And here's why. Ephesians is, I think, maybe the most concise and precise presentation of what God is doing in Jesus. If you want to understand what Jesus is up to on the earth, read the book of Ephesians. And uh, it, it'll talk about the grand purpose, and then it comes down to the intimacy of what he can do in you. So it kind of reads like a psalm. It's just, it's just six chapters. If you're an audio Bible guy, you like to listen, the audio Bible guy reads it through in 15 minutes. So you can make it through this book. <laughs> so there are 41 command verbs in this book, things that you should do. But 40 of them are after chapter 3. And so what are the first three chapters about? You know, I thought Christianity was all about what we're supposed to do. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what God's already done. Amen? Christianity is not about what we do, but it's about what God's already done. So the only command in those first three chapters is remember, see, Call to mind what he's done, what he's already done. Remember. So our message, the good news, is all about what he's done, right? And when we taste and see it, then we respond to that. So that's when partakers become celebrators. I want to I look at this praise at the beginning here. Paul says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this because when he says it, 
And then he, he says this, and then for the next 14 verses in the original language, there are no breaks. There's no period, no commas, anything like that. Now, in our English you know, translations, they put that in there for us, probably for the grammar police. They want you to feel all right. But in the original language, it's, so it's terrible grammar, but it's beautiful theology, okay? And so it, it's not the rote, repetitious traditional type of praise that Paul's talking about here. Well, blessed be the God the Father, and you know, also with you. It's not, it's not that. He starts, and he says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love, and predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. In the world. And on and on and on and on. And it just keeps picking up speed. And in the original language, the intention there, it was meant to hit you like a waterfall, like this deluge of words. Because Paul can't tell you in an excited enough way who Jesus is. And so let's see if it impacts us because it's meant to, okay? So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Why? Because he's worthy. God's worthy because he's blessed us. It's not a transaction. He rewarded us because we did some good things and, you know, we, we patted us on the head. No. We celebrate him because he stooped down to us. And, and all those things, if you notice, are in Christ, in Christ. 38 times in the book of Ephesians, God will say, here's what I'm doing in the world, and then he'll finish it with, in Christ. I'm doing this in Jesus. So now I understand, if that's no, not so exciting to some of you, that's kind of like saying, I, I got you a gift, but it's invisible. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I knew these people were weird. <laughs> but keep reading because he starts unpacking what those spiritual blessings are. The first blessing, God has blessed us. How? Because he chose us on your notes. He chose us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before the foundation of the world was thrown down, God called you out and he marked you. He marked you. He called you to be holy and set apart. And he says, I'm going to create a people that are mine, that are holy, in verse 4, and not just holy, but they're blameless, and their shame will be gone in my presence. And so I love that. What, what will mark the people of God is not their clothes, it's not their ethnicity, not the demographics. They are marked by love because he chose us. If you feel overlooked or passed over, God is on the move, and he's choosing. You hear that this morning? You ever feel unclean or dirty in your dirt, <laughs> unworthy? You're the kind of people that he's choosing. It says in the next verse, verse 5, he predestined us. That means he set the destiny out before us. He set the destiny out before you. They are mine and they are adopted. They are adopted. Now, we've heard that word in scripture. And, you know, this, I like to say this. And you've probably been hearing me use this language. This isn't just a community, but a family. And, and Destiny Foursquare is a family. This is a, a community of believers that is family. And he says, I'm going to adopt them as what? Sons and daughters. 
He uses that language in scripture. I have lots of friends who have adopted. My family has adopted. In fact, some of you might know, just a month and a few days ago now, we had the adoption hearing. There's a picture there. It was a pretty cool experience. The the judge actually baked cookies. (laughs) The boys, Lazarus and Darian, have been with us for about a year and a half now. But that happened, the actual hearing where it's all official now, just happened just a month ago. And, um, you know, they're... I could probably make you cry with the stories that I could tell, just our stories of adoption, um, you know, because adoption stories are amazing. And, but I, okay, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one story. Um, I, I have a picture of Cynthia. Um, our, our two oldest daughters are also adopted. This is when, um, this is the first day we met Cynthia. This is that, uh, the, the foster family that they were with, that very surreal experience when we walked in the door and, you know, we met her for the first time and you get to say, well, hi, I'm dad. Just crazy experience. And so what I remember is her, Cynthia, seven years old at this time, Autumn was eight. I walk in the door and Cynthia's in her bathing suit like that. And she's dripping wet because this is a pool party. Uh, and, um, and so walk in the door and some, something... Uh, Cynthia was a little monkey, and she climbed up somehow up my back and was on my shoulders before I even realized what was happening. And she was dripping wet, so she was, like, getting me all wet. And, and her friend comes up, and she's yanking on her towel, and she says, come on, let's go swimming. And, and this, this still, to this day, just kind of makes me tear up. Cynthia's response, I had just met her seconds. She said, not now, I'm bonding with my dad. You know, God, God can take someone who is from another bloodline and he can make them forever family just like that and that was our experience in fact the social worker at the end of that day says i've never seen anything like this you know usually there's a warm-up period you know you kind of maybe go for a visit and but they were like can we get go can we pack our stuff and go like right now and that's what god does we adopted her and, and when they were seven and eight and so their identity could have been abandoned because that's, that's kind of what was in the story, you know, with, with, with their birth family. In a sense, that was true. But that's not their story now. No. No. That's not their story now. Their story is that they are loved. And we chose them. And we came to get them. And we overcame barriers for them. And not just give them some grounding so that they can have a life. But we gave them a new home. And, and we signed all the papers so that my name became their name. And, and my life is bound with theirs, so that at the end of my life, all that I have is theirs. Shared between seven siblings, of course. <laughs> but Cynthia's identity, Autumn's identity, Darian's identity, Lazarus's identity is chosen, adopted, loved. And Paul is saying here, before we had done a single thing, God was doing the work of bringing home sons and daughters to dwell in his house. Does that just blow your mind? Notice how he does it. It says, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Variously translated, some say, according to the purpose of his will. According to the kind intention of his will. According to his pleasure. Paul used two words for that word, word, will, for that word will here. He used two words. The first one is his will in the sense of his active resolve. How did this happen? How did I get here? Because God resolved it for, for it to be so. But then Paul stacks up another will word, and this time it carries with it his desire. 
God's adopting and forgiving and making people holy. And I don't know about you, but we can sometimes get to the call- so callous to the point that we think, well, you know, God just does that because he's supposed to. You know, and we get in this, we get this image in our minds that God's response to us is, you know, all right, you're forgiven, you may go. And it's not that. God's response, this passage says, when he started this, it was in accordance with the purpose of his will and the pleasure and the delight of his will. It wasn't just resolve, but if you want to write down your notes, it was his inward delight. It was his delight. This passage says, when, when he started this, it wasn't just a resolve, it was his delight. So when Paul is telling us, here is that God is worth praising. Why? Because when God worked up this plan, he got excited about it. He got excited. We're not trying to drum up some kind of false excitement for God. It was already in his heart for you before you were born. And and he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to get some people. We're going to rescue them and they're going to be in my family and I'm going to give them a home. He get it because he enjoyed it. So it's not where, well, I don't know, I guess we'll get some kind of tax break or something. It's not like that. He did it because he wanted to. So it says he did it to the praise of his glorious grace, not to celebrate that we did it. We're not celebrating that we pulled something off. Well, God has selected some people to be holy, and we did it. I read some books. I took some tests, and here we are. We did it. I worked very hard. That's not it. That's not it. We praise praise the glory of his grace. It's a grace party. Heaven is a party. And, and I don't know what you party about. You know, it might be a promotion. It might be that it's Friday. <laughs> but partying about grace is about the best party that I can think of. Because you're rescued from something, right? I, I was thinking about, um, of course, my, my wife and the girls just got back from, from Honduras. Uh, and they had a lot of grace stories. A lot of, a lot of stories of just God's grace moving in people's life. Despite, you know, their lack of, of, of just just regular everyday things that we take for granted. I can remember, it's probably been uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago that I led a team down to Creole, Mexico and we, we were visiting the Tarmaran natives and um, we went down there and this is this unreached people group. It's like going back 100 years. They live in caves, they live off the mountains, they grow their own crops in the mountains and we, we go there and we were giving them bags of rice and it was like it changed their world. We were giving them blankets and these little kids we're just dancing for blankets and, and a ball. Oh my goodness. You know, you give, give one of these little kids a ball and it was like, they're just light up. And, and so we get to this, you know, we, we, we visited an orphanage. I was part of this ministry and this work there. And the one thing that I just remember so vividly from this trip, it just, I, I was a youth pastor here at the time and it just blew me away. There's a couple boys in our youth group. I think we had about maybe 12 teens, maybe eight adults on this trip. There was a couple boys in the youth group, Nehemiah and um, Nick are the ones I'm, I'm thinking of. But at, towards the end of the trip, they, they got their parents' permission because it wasn't, it wasn't me that, that gave them the permission. But they, they called uh, mom and dad or asked mom and dad. Some of them were on the trip. And they said, can I give my suitcase to the orphans? I just want to give it to them. I just want to give all of my clothes that I have with me to the orphans because I... I can't handle this. I want them to have it. And I remember Nick specifically, he had these, he had these shoes that were brand new to him. And they were the nice, you know, ex- probably kind of spendy. Um, I don't know if they were Jordans, but there were some basketball shoes. 
And he, he just did not want to go home with him. He said, you take him. And so at the end of this trip, I can still remember it. I, I, have, I have some video clips from it. We were kind of gathering as a team, and we were talking at the end, and we could hardly talk because we were having a grace party in there. We were, God's grace was just so thick on this whole trip, and our minds were blown. And so, you know, we have so much, and they have so little, and, it, and just the little things that we were able to do, just the little, what seems like an insignificant thing is just blowing up their world. Your grace is so good, God. And we were crying. We could barely speak through our words. That was a grace party. We were so happy, so filled with joy for all the things that he's done and, and, and that he was doing. So what, we were, what were we celebrating? We were celebrating his grace. And, and so kindness being extended to those in need, right? And so it doesn't, it doesn't make it enough in the news stories or papers, but our heart explodes with joy when grace is given. And so when we understand grace, it's amazing. In fact, it changes us. One of my favorite things to do is get people out of the country and just kind of blow up their whole perception of what this is about. It's not about us. And, and so have you ever felt like, you know, you're not a part of the family? You might not be, but you've been adopted if you're in him. You've been brought home, and there's all sorts of grace for you. And then Paul makes a shift, and he starts moving into history. So now he asks the questions, how did this happen? How did the adopting occur? So on your notes, it happened because we were bought. We were rescued. The scripture there says, in him we have redemption. In him we have redemption. The word redemption carries the idea in the Bible that you were trapped, and you were imprisoned, but he jumped in and he got you out. God was on a mission to come and draw us out of danger. IJM is an organization that rescues people from modern day slavery. I love this organization. You can go to their website and, and read some very real time stories about the rescue work that they do. And so there was this man, I was reading this one recently. There's this man in India that was trying to provide for his family his impoverished family, and in the midst of that, he, offered, he was offered money as a loan from a guy that owned a farm. And he thought that this was going to be an answer for him, so he took the money without having any idea how much that decision would cost him. For the next 30 years, he and his wife and his children and his children's children were enslaved to work off the debt. The guy would change their wages, he would add to their debt. Whenever they tried to get out, they were beaten. And they couldn't get out. And so what looked like rescue for them became an absolute nightmare. So in the midst of that, there was this organization in India that saw what was going on and they contacted IJM. IJM has this team of lawyers, they work with government. So they, IJM came in and worked with the government there, worked with the law enforcement. And on May 7th of this year, those 17 family members were released. And they're free. Yeah, that's, that's a great story right there. So the wife and the, the matriarch, she wrote this. The morning after the rescue operation, she said, this is the most peaceful sleep I have ever had. I don't have to have my hands tied anymore or answer to someone anymore. I'm free. And I never thought this day would come. And that's how the Bible presents us, that we pursued things that we thought would give us life, and they ended up taking it. We pursued liberty apart from God, and then we end up in bondage. And that's the human story. And rather than God just leaving us there through Jesus in Christ, remember, he came to get us. And it came at a great cost. 
The cost was his blood. And Jesus laid down his life to set us free. That's what he did. Anybody, anybody um, else see the movie Taken? Liam Neeson, back in the day. I don't know how, how old it is. It's, it's, it's been a while back. It was really funny. Our four-score pastor up in Grand Junction when Deanna was going to medical school up there totally just looked like and sounded like Liam Neeson. He was like, he'd get up on Sunday morning, and in my mind, you know, it'd be, I've got a particular set of skills. <laughs> I can save your soul, you know. <laughs> it was, it was, it, that's the voice he had. It was, it was just wild. But um, so Taken and Liam Neeson also makes up one of my favorite internet memes from this year. If you haven't seen it, I just had to throw this up. Um, there's no wall I won't kick down, lie I won't tear down coming after you. Some of you, some of you have seen the movie, you'll get that. If not, it's okay. But for the rest of us, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Anyhow, Taken made a surprising amount of money which motivated them to make like 20 sequels. I don't know how many they have now <laughs> that weren't as good. But the first movie shocked a lot of people. And Hollywood was talking about it. You know, how did Liam Neeson, who's this older guy, make this movie that was so thrilling to this younger audience? You know, teens and young adults were eating this up and they were captivated by the story. So if you haven't seen this movie, it's, it's about his daughter who goes to travel in Europe and is taken captive. And so Liam Neeson, her dad, when he realizes what's happening, he, uh, he just moves on, right? He just says, well, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> what did he do? He goes there to get her back. And there wasn't anything that was going to stop him. That's the whole excitement of the movie. And he, spoiler alert, gets his daughter out. Sorry, it's like, after it's like 10 years old, yeah, I'm allowed to spoil the movie for you, I think. So, do you, do you ever wonder, what if his daughter, as she's lying on the, on the bed there and has the very normal feelings that a lot of people have, you know, I wonder if anybody cares. I wonder, I wonder if anybody even noticed me. If, I wonder if I matter to anybody. And, you know, maybe that's you here this morning. You know, what would I say to that girl? I would say, watch, watch the movie. <laughs> because look at what your dad did. I mean, he set things on fire for you. He blew up a refinery. And he wasn't very nice to the guys that got in the way. <laughs> and, you know, all to get to you. He went through everything for you. So whatever emotions that you might be feeling right now, tack them to the reality that your dad would do whatever, willing to risk whatever to get to you. So God is worthy. Why? Because Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued us through his blood. There's this, there's this article, CNN, I uh, saw this. James Harrison is a guy that they call the man with the golden arm. He's in Australia. And James had, a, had heart surgery when he was 14 years old, and he had to get a blood transfusion. That blood transfusion saved his life. So James decides, I'm going to become a blood donor. 14 years old, he starts donating blood. And as he does, they start to realize he's got antibodies in his blood that can be used to create an injection called anti-D, which fights a virus in a condition in which pregnant woman's body starts attacking her unborn baby's blood cells, causing brain damage and death. So they realize that James Harrison's blood contains antibodies that can stop the mother's body from doing that. So in Australia, an official said in 1967, Literally thousands of babies were dying each year, and doctors didn't know why. 
Women were having numerous miscarriages, babies born with brain damage, but Australia is one of the first countries to discover a blood donor with this antibody, revolutionary at the time. So the head of the American uh, Cross Blood Service said this, every bag of blood is precious, but James' blood is particularly extraordinary. His blood makes a life-saving medication given to these mothers. And every batch of anti-ID that's ever been made in Australia has come from James' blood. And more than 17% of women in Australia are at risk. So James has helped save a lot of lives. When the Australian Red Cross tried to add up the number, they lost count somewhere north of 2.4 million lives that have been saved through the blood of James. So for 60 years, he said, if my blood will save, then I'm going to pour it out. So Jesus is saying today, I have the blood in me to buy your freedom from your guilt and from your shame and from a purposeless life. I can rescue you and bring you home and make you something else. So he's redeemed us and not just redeemed us, but he's forgiven us. And all of us have ended up in places where we didn't want to be. And the tragedy of it so many times is we ended up in those places because it's our own fault. I did this to me. And so many people resist the gospel because they think God couldn't possibly forgive me for the things that I've done. God instructed the prophet Hosea to marry a woman who was unfaithful. His wife, Gomer, went running into the city to enjoy parties and drinking and, and sex and craziness. And she just got after it in the city. And everything that she thought would bring her life, she realizes in the end that she was losing it. These things were taking her life. And by the end, she had been spent as a prostitute. And in the book, there's a moment where she's, she's up on the block slave and she's completely given her life and she's been completely used and abused by the culture. And, and she's standing there and she's stripped naked and they're bidding on her and they're not even getting the going rate for a slave. And God tells Hosea, he says, your wife is out there being sold. Go to her and pay full price for the best, not just for a slave, but for the best to get your girl back. As if she's done nothing wrong. You're, you purchase her, you draw her out into the wilderness, you speak kindly to her and tell her, I'm your husband and I will be gentle to you and I'll be tender with you and I will make the valley of your trouble a doorway of hope. And that's what God has done. He's seen where we've been. He's seen what we've done and he's paid the full price. He forgave us. So if you ever feel guilty or condemned, he forgives you. Many people who work through the process of breaking free from addictions talk about the clarity of mind that comes on the other side. Saying things like, I just didn't have the eyes to see it, but now I see. And now I can see what a healthy life can look like going forward. What I love about this is that God is worth praising, not just because of what he's done in the past, but because it says in verse 7, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect 
when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. One of the greatest strategies that you can see in the human being is a sense of purposelessness. Researchers out of Carleton University in Canada, they found that people with a greater sense of purpose in life are at a far lower risk of dying. Isn't that interesting? They're gonna die, <laughs> but dying at a, a younger age. They did a study in 2009 that people with a sense of direction in life are half as likely to die in a five-year period than a person who lacks purpose. Half. A sense of purpose will save your life. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is answering that question, why am I here? What's my life about? That's being answered by who he is. God built the universe to work through him. And when we abandon him, it all breaks. But what God is doing through Christ, through Jesus, is he's putting it back together, putting him back in the center. And with him, our lives begin to work with purpose again. So verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So when God is making the world right again, we'll have a prime seat next to him because we are his inheritance. We are a declaration of his grace. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So we are his inheritance, and then we're going to get an inheritance. How do we know? It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, and we get the promised Holy Spirit. So how do you get chosen? Who are the chosen ones? They're simply the ones that when they hear the good news, they believe it and they receive it. So all the gifts of God are available in Christ. You're marked with a seal and a promise of what's to come to prove it. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the, the same word for wind. In Genesis, when he talks about it, we've been talking about dirt. We we're made from the dirt. It says he breathed into that dirt and he breathed life into it. And isn't it interesting when Jesus sees the disciples again for the first time after the resurrection, John says that Jesus breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit, it says. Can you imagine that? Jesus, you're back from the dead. And you're still eccentric. <laughs> uh, you're sealed. Jesus says, I took the guilt and the shame out of the way so that intimate animated presence of God can go and be with you when you walk out those doors today my presence is with you and I will walk with you and you are sealed we're wrapping up Prince Prince Harry married Meghan Markle from LA she had a few bit parts tried her hand at acting but somehow um, she met the prince and fell in love and now is part of the royal family did she deserve it? Was it something that she did? No, not really. It was the fact that she was bonded together with the prince. So God is moving in Christ, and he sent the prince of heaven. He sent the son of God, that when you bind your life together with him, you get adoption. You're a part of the family. You get redemption. The past is gone. You get forgiveness. You get to be a part of the forever family. 
when Megan said yes to that ring, all that's left to do is celebrate. And when God describes what it will be like to see him face to face, do you know what he uses as a metaphor? The wedding feast, a party. When the bride and the groom hit the dance floor at the wedding reception, it's like it opens up the floodgates for everybody else to get down too, right? And, and it's not a celebration of anything that he or she did, but it's a celebration that those two are loved and that now they're home. That's what heaven is. That's what we do. Heaven is celebrating what God is doing through Christ. So do you know him? Do you know what it's like to be in him? If you have the eyes to see it, and if you partake of it, you'll become a worshiper. And it's the most natural thing. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, (laughs) what a pleasure and a joy it is to be a part of your family. God, you've adopted us in. And you've called us sons and you've called us daughters. God, and and when we come in and we see who you are and we've experienced your grace, it's nothing short of a party. We can't, we're beside ourselves. Maybe you were here this morning and you came in and you're hearing this story of adoption. You're hearing this story of being a participator. You say, but, but I've never met the Heavenly Father. I've never asked the Prince to be a part of my life, to come in and bring me into the family. Well, I believe that God placed you in this place this morning for a purpose. He's calling you by name. If that's you this morning, with no pressure, we're not here to embarrass anybody, but would you just raise your hand so we can pray a prayer of agreement with you this morning? Is there anybody that just want, would say, yes, I want to surrender my life to Jesus this morning for the first time? Thank you. Would you stand with me? Father God, thank you for the family that is here this morning. This is family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. God, you've called us. You've placed us in your home. God, you've made us new. God, and when you've called us into your house, God, this right here becomes family. So God, help us to live our lives out in response to how worthy you are. God, may our lives be a response to everything that you've done for us, Lord. And when we give, we give of ourselves because you gave first. When we love, we love because you love without restraint. God, when we give grace, we give grace because you are the most gracious of all. God, you're so worthy. So God, we just say this that this morning, you're worthy of our everything, God, and we just surrender our lives. There's sacrifice for you. Our lives are your lives. Do with them what you will, God. As partakers, become celebrators of who you are, God. We are so thankful. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.